factory. <laughs> Do you want to explain that? I think the, the neon light was flickering, and so the lightning had to fix it. Oh. <laughs> Is that how it worked? Something okay. like that, wasn't it? <laughs> did, did you hear what Tobias said? I need to observe more. So there was a little dish, <laughs> and there was this bacteria, uh -huh. and there's a big glob of mold. Mm -hmm. And so he said the bacteria backed off. Uh -huh. I mean, that's why they call it bacteria. <laughs> that's pretty clever, yeah. It is really, really interesting. You know, uh, antibiotics are, are amazing, and yeah. they became very popular back in the last century. And, and I know because I was there. Yeah? Oh, yeah, I, I was there. And when, and when antibiotics first came out, they were the wonder drug. It was going to solve everything. Everybody got cured. And so when I was very young, every time I would get a cold, my grandpa would show up with his penicillin needle. <laughs> every time you get a little sniffle. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. That's why I'm so healthy. <laughs> you are. Yeah, I'm backing off. Okay. Anyway, it's pretty exciting. So uh, I brought a molecule. Can you see that molecule if I hold it real good? See, the blue part is the oxygen atom, and the white part are the hydrogen atoms. And when they combine together in a reaction of forming water, this is what the water molecule looks like, H2O. Only today, I want to say something kind of interesting about the water molecule. Um, do you know about Amadeo? Not really. Okay, well, we should talk about him. You know, Amadeo Avogadro. Hmm. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't it be amazing to be famous for a number? <laughs> like seven? <laughs> I'm famous for seven. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm not famous yet, but seven's a good number. So Avogadro came up with a number. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Avogadro's number? You know, in science, everybody has to learn that number if they're going to take chemistry. I think I might. Okay, let's see <laughs> how good her memory is. What is Avogadro's number? 6.82 times 10 to the 23rd. That's pretty darn close, isn't it? What is I it? heard it was 6.022. 6.022. Not 6. Point, yeah, 6.022. It was pretty Chemistry close. Was long time pretty ago. close, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it 6. aged. 6.022. <laughs> 6.022. You're so kind. Times 10 to the 23rd. And what does that really mean? Times 10 to the 23rd. What it really number. means is you take 6.022 and you add 23 zeros at the end. So. And actually, since the point 022 is three of them, you only need 20 more zeros at the end. That's a big number. That's a really, it really is. big number. A lot of people know that number, mm -hmm. but I found that fewer know what it means. Mm -hmm. So what is, <laughs> this is going to be fun, what is the significance of Avogadro's number? I'm not going to put you on the spot. Is it a mole? It's a mole. A mole is a little animal that goes under the grass, right? And pops up. No. What is a mole? 
it's a weight measurement. Yes, it is. Tell us more. The word <laughs> mole, abbreviated M-O-L, is a word that we use a lot in chemistry, and it has to do with the molecule. Mm. Water is a molecule. Is that why it's M-O-L? A hydrogen atom uh -huh. is an atom. Another hydrogen atom, I'm going to zoom in so you can see this. Hydrogen atom, hydrogen atom, oxygen atom. When these three atoms come together and form water, then they become a molecule. A molecule is a little glom of atoms that have hooked up together in a chemical reaction. And what glues them together? They're sharing electrons. And so they go around together. Water can freeze and become solid. It can melt and be a liquid. It can vaporize and float around in the air. But these three always stay together. They are a molecule. And so mole comes from molecule, doesn't it? And this is where it gets kind of interesting. Understanding Avogadro's number is something that everybody studies chemistry needs to do. And I figure that everybody having lively science today mm -hmm. ought to understand this. Okay. That make sense? So we have to go lay a foundation. And of course, the foundation of all matter is hydrogen. Hydrogen, these little white atoms, and they consist of one electron and one proton. One electron, one proton, that's hydrogen. Two protons, two electrons is helium. Three is lithium, you go on up. When you get clear up to eight protons and eight electrons, then you have oxygen. So oxygen is eight times as big as hydrogen. However, Oxygen weighs 16 times as much as hydrogen. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why? If it's eight protons, this one proton should be just eight times as much, right? Mm -hmm. But it turns out that there's a difference. Hydrogen, normal hydrogen, doesn't have a neutron. A neutron is a big chunk particle about the size of a proton, but it doesn't have a charge. That's why we call it neutron, because it's neutral. Protons are called protons because they have a positive charge. Electrons are called electrons because they have a negative charge, right? Electrons weigh almost nothing. They're teeny little. Protons compared to electrons are very heavy. And neutrons are about the same weight as protons. So you have helium with two electrons, two protons, and two neutrons. So helium doesn't weigh two, hydrogen weighs one, helium weighs four, because you have to add in the weight of the neutrons in the nucleus. So in the middle of this oxygen atom, there are eight protons and eight neutrons in the nucleus, in, in the heart of the oxygen atom. And so you take the weight of the eight protons plus the eight neutrons and add them up and it's 16. So it weighs 16 is 16 times as heavy as the hydrogens. But there are two hydrogens. Now, here's where you connect atoms to our everyday world. You say, well, yep, here they are, atoms everywhere. But this is kind of a real big jump in being able to do experiments and things. What if you had a way to be able to measure how many atoms you have and to combine them and to do experiments? Obviously, we do that all the time, but we do that by using Avogadro's number. 
since hydrogen only has one electron and one proton, it has the atomic number of one. And it has the atomic weight of one atomic unit. An atomic unit is very, very small. If you had two hydrogens, you'd have two atomic units. If you had 6.022 times 10 to the 23rd hydrogen atoms, if you had a huge number of hydrogen atoms, then you'd have one gram of hydrogen. And that is the magic. Avogadro's number is the number you multiply times the weight of an atom to convert the weight into grams. So one hydrogen atom weighs one atomic unit, which is so small we have no way of weighing it. But if you have 6.022 times 10 to the 23rd, this gigantic number of hydrogen atoms, and you weigh them, they'll weigh exactly one gram, which would be one mole of hydrogen, atomic hydrogen. Turns out when we talk about moles, when hydrogen is floating around in the air before it's married oxygen, two hydrogen atoms glom together and form a hydrogen molecule. And if you have 6.022 times 10 to the 23rd hydrogen molecules, since there's two in every molecule, that actually weigh two grams. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's the weight of the molecule. It's kind of fascinating that if you take a gas like hydrogen or a gas like oxygen and you have exactly the same number of molecules, even though one atom's much heavier than the other, they occupy the same space. And that number of atoms is called a mole, meaning that's the number of molecules that you need to have the atomic weight be equivalent of the weight we can actually measure in grams. Are we getting this? You're so smart. I don't get it. <laughs> All right, let's, let's draw it out because okay, we got to get out. this. Okay, so I brought the little chart here. Okay. And I'm going to write upside down from your point of view. 6.022. There's the point. Should we turn it like this? Ah, that's better. Times 10 to the 23rd power. Which means it's like adding, behind the 6, 23 zeros. It's a very, 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 very big atom. And if you have that many hydrogens, if you don't have any eye, <clears throat> you're good. And you, if you have that many hydrogens, it's going to weigh one gram. And the atomic weight of hydrogen is one. If you have that many oxygen atoms, it's going to weigh 16 grams because the atomic weight is 16. And carbon's going to be 12 grams. So you can go through all of the elements. So it's a way to connect the periodic table and the weight of each atom with a weight we can measure in the laboratory. And I think that's a pretty neat thing. It is. Avogadro's number. So do we get it now? And if you have that many of any molecule, then you can say, I have one mole of that molecule, whether it be hydrogen or, or whether it be water or anything else. So that many molecules is a mole. That's neat. Good thing to know. This actually 
is a magical connection that allows us to do experiments in the laboratory where we can actually weigh things and, and be able to understand what's happening at the atomic level, at the atom level. Mm -hmm. Let's regroup. Okay, so what do you think? What is that? That's cool. Is <laughs> that <laughs> <So> hieroglyphics? <laughs> kind of looks yeah. like it. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it has I. Oh. Wow. <laughs> okay. None of that, right? No, we want to see that one more time. Oh. <laughs> Magic. Science is magic. And with science, you can do magical things, can't you? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to take a few minutes now and turn it over to Dr. Peget so she can tell you some things. <laughs> really? Yeah. Go ahead. So I came up with this idea when Dr. John was talking about the butterflies. Okay. And every single light diffraction could be a social-emotional attitude that we work on. <laughs> Sounds like you're going into metamorphosis. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good idea. We should all be social. We should. We should all be social. Yeah, it's true. Actually, the thing John showed us was very, very interesting. So you have something that doesn't have any color, yeah. but it looks like it has color because of how it traps light. Yeah. And only it'll, you shine a white light on it, and it all gets grabbed except for the blue reflects, and so it looks blue. And it's not just blue. It's a beautiful metallic blue. Beautiful, Amazing. beautiful. It's blue. all by accident. Not sure. <laughs> I think butterflies planned it. In fact, they probably planned it when they were crawling around eating plants as a caterpillar. Yeah. I know, that blue marble When I fly, one. yeah. So when I was in Brazil which is a wonderful place. One day, this big, beautiful, blue marble butterfly came flying by, and I held up my finger, and he lit on my finger, and that seems strange, but he did. How big was it? It's, it's like, wow. it was an adult. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of start as adults, don't they? Mm -hmm. But anyway, and so I had a nice talk with it, and he became my friend, and I went all the way home, and he was still there, so I got this little bottle cap and filled it with honey water. And he would sit and, and drink it. He liked it. Sounded like he liked you. We were, we were friends for about a day, and then he left. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really special. But yeah. they are beautiful in a very, very amazing way. Uh, did you tell everyone about your butterfly, the one you weren't a butterfly. I'm talking about your blue morpho one. So she's looking for a symbol mm -hmm. to be able to be, you know, her butterfly. And blue morphos are really beautiful. But um, she was creating a website, and uh, she asked me if I had any great ideas of how to make a really good-looking, unique butterfly. And I did. Search on the web. <laughs> <laughs> Blue butterfly, 
And then I started looking through all the images, and all of a sudden I came across one that was that metallic blue, and it was beautiful. You remember this? Yes, I do. So I said, I think I found it for yeah. you. So I showed her this image, and then we went to that website and looked at it, and the blue metallic butterfly was actually art. It wasn't a painting. You can't make it look like that. I don't, I don't think they have that kind of paint. This looked so metallic and beautiful, and so we found out that it was an artist that had made this, and it's about this big, and it's made out of stainless steel. And this artist cut it out with his welding torch. And then he put the torch on the stainless and heated it up to a temperature and then let it oxidize. And by the temperature he would heat it, when it would oxidize, it would make an elemental coating like the one on the butterflies, and it would turn to that color. And he made this really, really beautiful, beautiful butterfly, it which we ended up purchasing. And it's quite beautiful, yeah. right? Uh, but to think you can do that just with heat on a torch. So I was so impressed. I reach out to this guy. Gary. Gary? Caldwell. Gary Caldwell, that's his name. And he lives on the East Coast mm -hmm. in one of the Carolinas. North and Carolina. I, uh, I just told him how beautiful it was and how we purchased it, and I was so grateful. And then while we were talking, he was a really, he still is, I think, a really nice guy. And I said, can you make a big one? And he says, sure. You want twice as big? No. <laughs> I want it big, big. How big do you want it? Well, it ends up that he made one for us out of stainless. The, the wing is seven foot long. With two wings, if you open the wings, it would be 14 feet wide. And... He did it with his torch, and we now have mounted it outside as a symbol of sign. We need to show a picture of that, don't we? We do. We will. Yeah. Let's do that. I was so impressed. And I said, can you make anything else? He said, I can make anything you want. I said, okay. Can you make a hydrogen car? Thank you very much. Can you make a very large, giant beetle? And he said, yes, I can make a beetle. And so he did. And this giant beetle, he actually made out of stainless steel, and he made the antenna. Amazing. And it looks just like the real one. And so hairs. we also have that. So you want to see the butterfly? And, and by the way, oh. this is the guy himself. That's our butterfly. Take a look. Can you see it? Uh, can we zoom in on a little bit on that wing so you can see how beautiful it is? So that's all stainless steel. And see those nice, beautiful metallic colors? Well, he created them with the torch. And this, as you can see, is a pretty big butterfly. And if you want to see this in real life, you have to come to Kansas City. That's right. Because here it is. That's right. So do we happen to have the beetle? It would be fun if we could. But anyway, Gary is an amazing artist. You know, anybody that really, really does things well can do amazing things. When I was uh, working on my laser project in high school, I needed to have mirrors that would reflect 99.9% .9 of the light in order to make the laser work. And a regular mirror isn't that good. So there's a type of a mirror that's called a dielectric mirror. And they make these by putting an atomic coating on the surface of glass. 
and then you put another coating on and another coating on, and it turns out that when you have uh, one coating, it's reflective. When you have two uh, coatings, it's not. Three is reflective, four is not. So every coating either is reflective or you can see through it. But when it reflects and you kind of look at it, it looks colors like this. It's pretty neat. And that's how these butterflies do it. You want to see the giant beetle? Can you imagine that this thing is about, what, five feet long? Take a look at it. There he is. And he's sitting out at the entrance of our science center, and you can see he's kind of flying, and I would not want to meet him in real life, <laughs> especially not if he was that big. He's what? based on a real beetle. Oh, he's, Every he's, single he's the real beetle. detail yeah. is based on His eyes, real it's insect. really, really fascinating. We, we should post some of these pictures on our site because they are really neat. And Gary has a neat website. If you want to go look for him, you yeah. can find him. But he does all this out of stainless. And he can get yellow or orange or red or blue or green all just by heating the stainless steel to a different temperature and, and the way he cools. And I don't know exactly how he does it, but he does it very well. So it's when you say beautiful. it's an elemental coating on it, what, is that, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean is that there are little tiny, tiny specks like the ones that John was showing us in the printer. They have those little drops, and those drops are made so they trap all but a certain color of light, so you have that appearance. In this case, they're clear down at the atomic level, but it's really beautiful. And butterflies and, and other things that do this by trapping light have amazing, amazing abilities. Uh, colors really make life wonderful. I'm very grateful that we have different colors, but I'm also grateful that our eyes can perceive different colors. And so we can actually see the blend of them and it can be very beautiful. Uh, here's a question you may not have thought about very much. This kind of stuff I think about. I thought to myself, hmm, if I see something and it looks blue, if someone else sees it, does it look blue? He said, well, of course it does because we can all tell blue. Well, no, no, wait a minute. It turns out that when I see something blue and my teacher tells me that color is blue, I memorize that's blue. But what it looks like blue to me like, might look like red to you because we could be calibrated a little different. And so it's kind of fascinating. I wonder if that's why people have different favorite colors. They're really all seeing blue. <laughs> that's your favorite color, isn't it? Do I like blue? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. So do you want to know a secret? Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> thank you anyway. It was nice. Yes, please. I had thought about that. I was thinking about that right before you said that. You're thinking about blue? How we see different things. Do we? What do you see? I see shades of blue that are probably different than the shades of blue you see. The shade of blue coming off yeah. this table? Yeah. Well, it, it is interesting that we see a color, mm -hmm. we all recognize it, and we learn its name. It's blue, but it might look different to different ones of us, it's kind of interesting. And some critters uh, can see colors that we can't see. Like, and, and of course, some animals, like dogs, etc., can hear sounds we can't hear because they're out of our, our audible hearing range. I think it's really fascinating. I read that butterflies see colors differently. They can see the infrareds and the different colors of the flowers. And infrared is, is warmth, mm -hmm. so that can help them find things. I heard that mosquitoes can too. 
<laughs> Mosquitoes are naughty, especially yeah, the girls. They, they can see the warmth, so they know that you're a warm-blooded creature and they come and find you. And it's only the girls who do it. I, I think the boys see it, but only the girls bite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something wrong know. with that. Well, they want to be noticed. <laughs> That's understandable, right? Isn't that why they bite? I don't like them. Okay, well now, we have to move on, but thank you for sharing your thought. Was it a secret? Anyway, thank you. It's very good. All right, so we need to talk about something completely different if, if we're all finished with Avogadro and his number and Six point mosquitoes zero and butterflies. Two. I will never forget that now. Two, two. <laughs> and, and, and it goes on from there too. I think it's six point zero. I wrote my two, zero to like nine, an eight right? one time. Right. Yeah, that's good. Six point zero two two, like yeah. a two two. Got two, it. Two two. Got it. All right. <laughs> Do you know pie? I know three point one four. I know that certain pies taste good, and some don't. <laughs> so what is pie? Pie is a number, isn't it? Yeah. And what does it mean? What does it represent? <laughs> tell us. Do tell us, R. I don't know. I, I just heard, of, heard about it on Thanksgiving. <laughs> but, okay. but seriously, if you take the diameter of a circle and divide it into the distance around the circle or the circumference, the number you always get is pi. If the circle's round, you take the distance across and divide it into the distance around the circle, you always get pi. And pi is a number that if you keep dividing it out and out and out and out, it never ends. It, it never comes out exact. There's always some left over, so it keeps going. So they literally have great big, 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 big books of numbers that are all part of pi, where they use computers to carry it out to 10 decimals, to 100 decimals, to 1,000 decimals to 10,000 decimals, and it still doesn't come out, even. So are they associated with fractals? Who are they? Is pi. Is pi a fractal? Is it associated with it? Pi somehow? is an irrational number, mm -hmm. which means it's not social. <laughs> no. Irrational means it cannot be expressed as a ratio, like 3 over 4 is 3 fourths, 0.75. That's a rational number because you can express it as a racial. But you can't pi because it never comes out exactly divisible, which is pretty neat, right? Right. And fractals, yes, but that's another story. That's a long story. I love fractals. But speaking of stories, I want to share a true story. And it's one that uh, was inspired today by someone that I should, I should talk about this story. And it's a story about airplanes. You know, airplanes are really, really amazing. Uh, I'm one of the few living people that remembers the Wright brothers. <laughs> not quite, not quite. But, you know, uh, for the longest time, everybody knew that man could never fly. And now we all know that if you have an airplane, you can fly, and that's, that's pretty exciting. Of course, Lear makes so you can really fly in the Lear jets. But there, uh, there's a, 
experience that I had flying once that I want to kind of share with you because to me it relates to our study of math and science and engineering and I think there's a great point to make. Uh, we're taught algebra, we're taught geometry, we're taught these different kinds of math and science and when we learn them quite often we don't know exactly every place we're going to need them in our in our lifetimes but this knowledge and this information comes in very handy and it's important to a lot of the inventioneering and things we're going to do in our lifetimes so i decided i wanted to be a pilot and so i enrolled myself in flying school and took my first flight and i loved it the very first flight i got to take off and uh, and, and that's kind of neat you know uh, Taking off an airplane is really quite easy to do. You drive out to the end of the runway, and remember in an airplane, you steer with your toes, with your, your feet. And as you push the pedals, the front wheel turns back and forth. So you don't even need your hands. You just steer with your feet. You get out the end of the runway, you're pointing down the runway. And then you turn the engine up so the propeller goes really fast. And then the plane starts going down the runway faster and faster and faster. And when the speed, the airspeed gets up high enough, there's a little meter there that tells you your airspeed. And it's just telling you how strong the wind is. There's really no wind. You're just driving through the air, making it look like wind. When it gets up to fast enough to fly, the meter goes into a part of the meter that turns, that is green. When the needle gets in the green, if you just pull back on the yoke, plane takes off. It's really easy. So you just turn on the power, you steer with your feet to stay on the runway while it's rolling, and then when it's going fast enough you pull back on the yoke and it just floats into the air. That's a very neat thing. Well, I love to fly. I eventually got my, my license and I was very grateful that I had studied algebra because to be able to pass the ground test, you either need to get weird calculators and spend a lot of time memorizing things, or if you just know algebra, you can solve the problems with algebra to pass the flying test. And so I was very grateful for that. But one day, um, after I uh, became a, an airplane dealer, I owned a Cessna dealership, which is a brand of airplane, and I needed two trainers. Trainers are little two-seat airplanes that you give students lessons in. And my little flying school at my dealership was starting to get pretty popular, so I needed a couple trainers. And I found out there were two available for sale down in Oklahoma, which is just not that far south of Kansas City here. So I got in my airplane to fly down to Oklahoma, and I took my mechanic with me so that he could check out these airplanes and see if they were in good condition. So we took off here from a Kansas City airport over in Independence, and I actually owned that airport. It was a small one, but I purchased it. And we took off in this brand new Cessna. Uh, for those of you that might know airplanes a little bit, this airplane was a Cessna 182RG. RG means retractable gear. So that means after you take off, you flip a handle and the wheels fold up inside and it makes the plane fly about 10 miles per hour faster because you don't have the drag. So I took off from the Independence Airport, retracted the gear and took off for Oklahoma. 
And we were maybe uh, 10 minutes out from the Independence Airport, and I could smell smoke. And we were over, still over uh, Kansas City, in fact, over an area called Lee Summit. Houses everywhere, and the cockpit of the plane started filling up with smoke. Now, that's not a thing you like when you're flying. <laughs> and it kind of troubled me because smoke means there's fire. Fire in an airplane is not a good thing. And so I had an emergency. If that thing's catching on fire, it could be very, very dangerous. And something happened right then that saved my life, really. And it was something that happened because of the teacher that taught me to fly, my flight instructor. He was a very, very big stickler on practicing, on training, on doing it right every time, not cutting any corners, but going through all the steps to really master the material. And so as soon as that plane caught on fire, and I realized, wow, we're up here, there's no place to land, what am I gonna do? Without even thinking, I ran through the whole emergency procedure. And what you do in an airplane when it catches on fire in flight is, first of all, they have you turn off the gasoline. And you have, in assessment, the gasoline tanks are up above in the wings. And there's a little dowel on the floor and you turn it off. So I turned off the fuel. Well, that kind of slowed the engine down a little bit, but you don't want gasoline if there's fire. So I turned off the gasoline. I trimmed the airplane to the speed where it would stay in the air as long as possible. It's called the best rate of descent. And I did all of these emergency procedures in the airplane to be ready for an emergency landing. And I did it without thinking because I had trained and trained and trained and trained. Meanwhile, my mechanic, bless his heart, he was also a pilot, but he was a young pilot. He hadn't flown much. He was a very good mechanic. But when this thing started filling up with smoke, he grabbed the microphone and started, help, 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 we're on fire, we're on fire. And I don't know what the people down there were supposed to do, <laughs> squirt their hoses up at us or something. But he just started screaming on the, on the microphone. And that didn't help me. Uh, but he was, he was a little bit concerned. I looked around. When, once you get the airplane stable, then you start looking for a place to land. And everywhere I looked, there were houses and buildings and and there, there wasn't really a good place to land, and we weren't that high, so that means we didn't have very long to glide before we were gonna hit the ground. So I looked, and the first clear place I could see was the Lee Summit Airport. Mm -hmm. And I was down past Lakewood, way down there, and so, uh, well, I don't know if we can make it or not, but I immediately turned towards the airport, and I went right towards the runway. Now, the runway was going the wrong direction, for how we were coming in, but I still had to go right towards it, so I aimed right at the runway. And I thought, well, I'll get down there and turn and maybe I can land. And it looked like we were gonna stay high enough that I would be able to glide all of the way to the airport. The 182 has a three-bladed propeller, and it's spinning around just because of the air blowing through it like a fan, which is just because I was coasting, because the engine was turned off, the gas was turned off, and my mechanic still, 
we're losing altitude. We're going to crash. We're going to crash. Help. Someone help. And no one did come and help. <laughs> but at any rate, we're going in, we're going in. And then for some reason, the propeller stopped windmilling. It just froze. And when it did, the plane started having a lot more drag, and so we started dropping much faster. And all of a sudden, I could see we're not going to have enough altitude to get in there and turn on the runway. And so uh, this is when you start to figure out what are you going to do. Now, this particular runway came out and had a big hill around the end of it because they built that extended the runway and had to pile up a lot of dirt. So it was kind of like a hill. And I thought, hmm, if we're low, we're going to run right into that big pile of dirt. So I aimed right at the end of the runway. Remember, the runway's going the wrong way. So I'm coming in like this, and I figure if I could be just a little bit out here, then I could turn and land. But I was afraid I'm not going to have enough altitude. So about now, because of my mechanic, everybody at the airport that had heard the radio were out watching. <laughs> and I'm flying this airplane. And I remember something that Bill Lear told me. Uh, Bill Lear knew that I was a, a young pilot, and he asked me if I had my instrument rating. In an airplane, you can fly with what they call VFR, visual flight rules, or you can fly with instruments, instrument flight rules. If you're in good weather, you can just do visual flight rules. That means you just look for other airplanes and you land. If you're in bad weather, then you can't see when you get in clouds and things, so you have to do it all by instruments. It's harder to do it just by instruments. And so he said, do you have your instrument rating? And I didn't. And he says, well, you need to get it. He says, someday you're going to go flying into bad weather, and then he says, you're going to spend the rest of your life flying instruments. I figured out what he meant. <laughs> well, anyway, so fortunately, it was good weather, and we're coming towards the airport, and everybody was out watching, because here comes this airplane in screaming on the microphone. And when we got to the airport, I had put the landing gear down, the wheels were down, and, but we were going the wrong way. And that reminds me of a of another story that I really should tell. This one isn't true, but it's really funny. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's about the pilot that came in to land at the airport. He was a student pilot, and he was coming in for a landing with his instructor. And uh, he came in, and as he got closer to the airport, the runway looked pretty long, and it got shorter and shorter and shorter. He was getting closer. Pretty soon, the runway looked like it was just as wide as a street. And so he landed in the gravel, he went out on the asphalt, hit the brakes hard, skidded across, off the other side of the runway, and ready to go down the hill, and just barely stopped in time. And he turned to his instructor and he says, boy, this has got to be the shortest runway in the world. And the instructor looked out that way, and he looked that way, and he says, it's the widest runway in the world, too. <laughs> he was going the wrong way. Anyway, I was going the wrong way, and when we hit the end of the runway, and I don't quite know how we did this, but I hit the right brake, and the wheel just came and flipped the plane around, just like that, on the little runway. Engine was off. We coasted down about a third of the way off the runway into a tie-down, and everybody clapped. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> now, <clears throat> it really is worth it to train, to make the effort, to plan ahead, to be prepared for these kind of situations. But uh, when you're in a very, very tense situation, you don't have time to think. You have to be ready. You have to be prepared. And I've always wondered, how would I react in an emergency? Uh, very often, if you panic, and, and frankly, my inexperienced mechanic kind of panicked. <clears throat> if I'd panicked like he did, I don't think we would have made it. But since I had been so well trained by a very careful instructor, I, I responded by reflexes, and I think we did just the right thing. I did know, however, that for me to be able to get through that day and survive was going to be a very big thing. And I think it especially hit me as soon as the plane stopped and I realized we're on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I realized how amazing and wonderful that was. And this is an absolutely true story. So I picked up the phone, I called my loved one, and uh, how are you today? Fine. Oh. <laughs> Is everything okay? Yes. But you just don't know how precious life is until you're in a circumstance where you really, really can see. I am very grateful that that day wasn't my last. I really am. I would have never got to witness a solace and a lot of other wonderful things. Uh, we cannot even begin to imagine the amazing things that lie before us in our lifetimes. We all go through stormy days. And the problem with stormy days is they're stormy. But they pass. And we have to hang on for the wonderful clear skies that are ahead, and I, uh, I think it's important that we, we keep that in mind at all times. So the moral of my little story tonight is that we really need to study and study hard and prepare for whatever comes our way. It might be a threatening ride in an airplane, or it might be a wonderful opportunity we're going to miss if we haven't prepared and we don't have the technology and the understanding you need to really do things. That's why Avogadro's number is so important. Now, what did you say it was again? You want to teach them wrongly? Yes, yes. <laughs> I said 6.82 times 10 to the 23rd. You know what? I think Avogadro was wrong. I think you're right. <laughs> Too. Yeah, I think so. It's 6.0. I think it's pretty two. amazing you remember that. You know, uh, <laughs> electrical engineers and chemistry, mm -hmm. <laughs> you did really good. Kudos. 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 Yeah. <laughs> You're so kind. Yeah. <laughs> Very All right. Kind. Well, uh, the, the last thing I want to say, some of you have been asking, what should you write on mm -hmm. your reports when you do this every week? And I have been working with our uh, Salus Academy Big Shot Managing Director Joshua <laughs> on how we can give credit for Science Live. 
and I want to try an experiment. And the experiment is, if you could write up what you learned from each experience in Science Live and send it to us, mm -hmm. then we'll look at those and we get it approved, then you'll be able to get a half a science credit every semester you do Science Live. And I think that'd be kind of fun, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah. So if this works, we'll be putting the writing tutor interface on. But for now, you know where you do a little message? Mm -hmm. Just send me a message, tell me, so what did you learn tonight? And it could be about the blue morpho butterfly, it could mm -hmm. be Avogadro's number, could be social, whatever right. it might be, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, on the sciencelive.com domain, the webpage there, they can download the hydrogen poster. The hydrogen poster is now on yeah. sciencelive.com because so many people wanted it. Yeah. We just put it there. <laughs> exactly. Okay? Download it. Yeah, it is neat. Yeah. All right, we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.